You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, featuring the top interviews from this past week's show with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn. Hello and welcome to This Week on NFL No Huddle as we take you back through the week that was on our program. In this episode, Cordell and I will focus on the conference championship games with a number of former players, starting with former Eagles running back Brian Westbrook. Brian, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We are doing well, and let's start with what you saw offensively in the win over Atlanta. Did Nick Foles show you enough in that victory to have confidence in the quarterback heading into the NFC Championship game? You know what, based on uh, the last two games of the season, uh, you had Oakland on Christmas Day, then you had uh, the, the, the Dallas Cowboys after that. And Nick Foles in both of those uh, games just didn't look very good. He didn't play an awful lot in the last game of the year, but he did not look very good. And both of those games were coming off of a four-touchdown game versus Dallas versus the, the New York Giants. And so um, the, the expectations for Nick going into the game this past Saturday just weren't very high. And I think for him, in order to come out and for this team to win, he had to come out and play great football. And I, I think he did. He played an efficient game. Uh, he was over 70% passing for as far as completions. And when you look at it, and the most important stat that he had on Saturday was that he did not throw any interceptions. I mean, if you don't turn the ball over in the playoffs offensively, you play pretty decent defense, you have a chance to win. And fortunately enough for the Eagles, Nick Foles did not turn the ball over as far as the interception, and um, they were able to find a way to win. It's okay to say that this team for sure, uh, Brian, is is – one of the better defenses in the National Football League, leading with Fletcher Cox and Chris Long and all the other guys that's on this defense. But one thing I think that's comparable to a great defense is a quality running game. You've been a part of one uh, with your style of play, but they have LeGarrette Blunt, they have Jay Ajayi, they have Clements as well as Smallwood. How big of a deal is it to have a, a running game that can actually slow the game down to allow your quarterback to get his feet up under him, knowing that if you win this football game, you're in the Super Bowl? Well, I think it's really important, and Cordell, you you know how important it is to have a running game to support uh, you as a quarterback. I, I just think that when you have that running game, it, it works in a couple different ways. Offensively, it hopefully allows you to stay on schedule first and second down, getting positive yards so that on third down, you're not in third and long situations. That's going to help your quarterback. That's really going to help your offense stay on the field with those short, shorter third down situations. Defensively, how it helps you is the run game just adds and takes time off the clock. More and more time off the clock. Your defense gets to sit on the other sideline. You sit on your sideline and rest while the other opposing offense is sitting on the sideline and hopefully you find a way to put uh, a touchdown in that end zone. And so you've accomplished so many things. They have to watch you. You're sitting on the sideline. Your defense is resting and you're pushing, putting points on the board, and that's very, very important. The Eagles have three running backs that can get it done. Jay Ajayi has carried the load for the most part, but when you add in LeGarrette Blunt as well as Corey Clement, they have three guys that you can hand the ball off to or throw the ball to out of the backfield that can get you positive yards and certainly have explosiveness in this offense. Brian Westbrook is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Brian, Stephon Diggs making history with that incredible play on Sunday. But when we're looking at the overall skill set of Minnesota's receiving core, including their tight end, Kyle Rudolph, and what Philadelphia has to offer, how would you compare those two units? 
Well, when I look at Minnesota, you know, they, they, they don't have a problem running the ball. I mean, they, they commit to running the ball. Pat Shermer, a guy that a lot of people here in Philadelphia know and understand because he has been here for a while, um, is their is Minnesota's offensive coordinator. He, he's willing to commit to the running, so they do do that. But then when you look at Thielen as well as Diggs, you have two receivers that can catch the ball and get yards after the catch. They've been doing it all season long. Thielen certainly has the speed. Diggs has the speed. And you combine that with Rudolph. Now the secondary uh, for the Eagles has to you know really play, play this thing close to the cup. They can't allow themselves to be undisciplined. They can't allow themselves to be in the wrong place. The good thing for, for the Philadelphia Eagles defense is that their front four has done a great job of getting after quarterbacks. And if they want to win, the Eagles want to win, they have to find a way to make life very, very hard for Case Keenum and to not allow him to be comfortable inside of the pocket. Speaking of making a life hard, I think at the beginning of the year this year, uh, when Doug Peter, Peterson came in, the head coach, there were some c- conversations that Coach Schwartz and and maybe some people were kind of saying he was undermining Doug Peterson or some people thought that Doug Peterson was in above his head and Coach Schwartz should have the head coaching do- job there in Philadelphia. Give me your take on what's being said now because one of the most efficient offenses in the National Football League, if not one of the best, the best third down converting conversion uh, ratio when it comes down to Carson Wentz being the starting quarterback on the football team. Give me your take on what they're saying now about Doug Peterson. Well, you're right. A lot of people doubted Doug. You know, some people that were uh, inside of the building supposedly were doubting Doug. But the truth is, when you coach your team to a 13-3 record, when you play with some of the injuries that they've had, Jason Peters, a Hall of Famer, Darren Sproul, certainly a guy that should be considered for the Hall of Fame. Jordan Hicks, the middle linebacker, has uh, missed most of the season. Ronald Darby missed eight games. And Doug Peterson, throughout all of that and losing Carson Wentz, MVP candidate, uh, has allowed his team to be in a situation where they're playing for the NFC Championship. And to me, that means an awful lot. That means the guys bought into what he was what he was telling them. They bought into this the next guy up philosophy, and they every single week they come and answer the bell. And that comes from the top. That comes from the head coach. And so a lot of people have been eating their words because. Uh, Doug Peterson has had success this year, and this team is 13-3. And at the end of the day, this NFL that we play that, that's going on at this point is all about wins and losses. Doug Peterson won 13 games this year, and that's an important stat for, for a coach that was doubted across the board. And you're ready for Sunday's NFC Championship game, chatting with Brian Westbrook. Ryan, you know the city of Philadelphia well. Before you play for the Eagles, you shined at Villanova. When we think about how things could play out on Sunday – Obviously, Eagle fans are invested. They're trying to move on to the Super Bowl. But let's say Minnesota wins the game. Do you think a portion of the fan base will at least be philosophical about the loss because Carson Wentz got hurt in December? Monumental achievement even to make it this far. Well, I, I think I think if they said that, uh, they would be right. It's certainly impressive that they're able to make it this far without their MVP candidate, and Carson Wentz, a guy that's really carried them throughout the season. But, you know, it's just hard to be this close. I mean, you're, you're four quarters away from being able to play in the Super Bowl. You have a good defense. You're going to be facing a team with a good defense. You're at home. And, you know, if, I don't know that the people in Philadelphia would say, you know, we're okay and kind of write it off. I certainly know that they will be upset and disappointed. But at this point, they believe in this team. They believe in Doug Peterson and the leadership on this football team. 
and uh, nothing less than playing in the Super Bowl is going to make these guys happy. Believe me in that. Brian, to see what they did last weekend against this Atlanta Falcons team and have some of the most explosive receivers, maybe you know, maybe the top, let's just say, eight to ten receivers in the game when it comes to Sanu as well as Julio Jones, um, to see that defense hold them the way they did because they were driving up and down the field all day, whether it was running the football, creating the, the down-and-distance situations that play in favor to the play call to getting the ball to Sanu, getting the ball to Julio Jones, but they, they steadfast and stayed strong and, and stayed sturdy. Give me your take on people basically somewhat feeling as if Philadelphia, because of all the bad luck they've had over the years and things haven't really trans, you know, transpired to be something special as many times as they've gone to the NFC Championship game, Brian, we really appreciate the time and the information. Thanks so much for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you, guys. Take care. Have a good night. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017, from news and politics to true crime comedy and history favorites we've rounded up our favorites and there's something for everyone shows included dirty john s town my favorite murder homecoming pod save america start your new year with these podcasts and more just search podcasts on tune in today welcome back to this week on nfl no huddle here are your hosts brian weber and cordell stewart Next on this week on NFL No Huddle, we're joined by former Jaguars quarterback David Garrard. Did you see enough from Blake Bortles in the win over the Steelers? No turnovers. He didn't take a sack to have full confidence in him this Sunday on the road in New England. You know, I, I saw a lot from him in the uh, Steelers win. I, I saw more than I anticipated. You know, um, I tell you what I saw that really surprised me and really gave me uh, even more confidence than I had. Was as the Steelers were making their comeback, as the game was getting tight, it was getting close, they were within striking distance, they would go down and score. Blake would lead them on a scoring drive that would continue to put the Steelers kind of at arm's length, and then they made another score, and then the Jags went down and scored again. And so it, it showed me one phase of his game is, is improving, that um, when he is getting in crunch time, he can – make some plays to at least help us keep the lead. I'm still looking for that situation when he gets in when we're behind and he needs to make throws to get us down to uh, have us come back and win a ball game. Now, he hasn't had to do that yet, and hopefully this weekend he doesn't have to do it either. But that's still something that's kind of where the jury is still out for him. When you think about... You know, things being contagious on football teams, it, it, it evolves around winning and losing. You guys have been able to win, but it's, it's the Tom Coughlin effect. Um, think about what he's done to this team in a sense of how he drafted with their first pick with Leonard Fournette. Uh, think about bringing in, being able to bring in Calais Campbell. Uh, give me your take on what he's done for this organization, even though he's not on the football field. But yeah. give me the, the give me the understanding of what he's done as far as his inspiration and things that he uh, been able to give to this football team to help them move forward and, and win the way they are. You know what, Cordell, you're right on. It definitely has been the Tom Coughlin effect. But it's not just Tom Coughlin; it's also Doug Marone. And basically, what they've done is they've changed the mindset on this team. The team before under uh, Gus Bradley 
did not have that mindset. It was everybody's friends, everybody's cool. Let's just go out here and do our best. And, you know, that's all we can really ask of each other. Where Tom Coughlin, Doug Marone have come in and said, we don't want just your best. We want everything you got. And, and, but we also want you to have this mindset of if you're not getting it done, then you're not going to be on the field. If you're not putting everything that you have into film room and all, and all those different things, you're not going to play. And so, uh, and that really meant a lot and should have meant a lot to Blake Bortles because I believe under the last regime, he was allowed to do whatever he wanted on the field and there were no repercussions from it. I mean, he would play in some games where I'm like, why is this dude still out here? He needs to at least be pulled just because he's playing so bad, but they would continue to put him out there. And then after those games, the coaches would say, Oh, you know what? He's our guy. He it's not his fault. It was a bunch of other things. If you really go back and look at film, he played, you know, well. And I'm like, "No. No, we all clearly saw what happened out there." So now there's accountability. The mindset now has changed where you're going to be held accountable for what you've done. And Blake knows that now and they've really kept him to that and I think that's what's kept him uh, getting better as the year has gone on Tom Coughlin I know I was drafted by him he is not going to put up with anything and that even includes in the film room in meetings and at practice if you're lacking those things throughout your career and throughout the year it's going to show up on the field in uh, poor play and so with that accountability now being held to Blake Bortles, he is showing up and doing the right things week in and week out, and it's showing in the game. He scored also on Brian Weber again. You said for the AFC Championship, a game with our good friend David Garrard, the former Jacksonville quarterback. David, this requires a degree of informed speculation, but it's also derived from your personal experience. Cordell and I were just talking about the report from Boston. Tom Brady apparently received four stitches around one of his knuckles. If that happened to you midweek, how big of a concern would it be on game day? Well, I can tell you I've had um, something very similar to that. I don't know if it's just the skin. I, I guess I probably wouldn't be too concerned if it's on the outer portion of the hand, if it's on the inside grip area, now I I would be I, I would really be concerned just because that affects my ability to grip the ball. I uh, in 2010 I was throwing a pass against the Colts and hit Dwight Freeney's hand as he was trying to deflect the ball. It it actually um, broke a piece of the bone off of my middle finger and the ligament actually was not attached anymore on my middle finger, but. Mm. I continued to play in the game, and then I gave it my best, went out the very next week, and tried to do the same. But I basically couldn't bend my middle finger on my throwing hand. And so it was almost impossible. I was throwing some of the ugliest passes in that next game and actually had to be pulled out of the game just because I was um, I was playing at a level that wasn't a – professional level and coaches everybody could see it so I'm just if he's had something as serious as that it's on the back side of the hand that's something he can deal with put the gloves on he'll be fine but if it's in the grip area as a quarterback 
midweek, that's something that I would uh, be very, very concerned about. David, get on a football team that has a defense like this one and just put yourself on the team as a quarterback uh, where you basically can go into this game saying basically, you know what? Your defense alone is going to spot you maybe anywhere from three to maybe six points because of field position, because of turnovers, or even taking it back to the house. So let's just play a conservative six points. How much confidence you would have going into the game knowing that you're the quarterback on this football team, knowing that you don't have to do much, but other than not just screwing it up, let's say that. Yeah, so if you're talking about what Blake Bortles uh, is about to go through, yeah, I, I would say he should be somewhat comfortable with this situation in that scenario, but you know the game is not going to play itself out like that. He is going to have to produce. He is going to have to uh, make throws. I've been in games before. Uh, once again, we were playing the Colts, and their best thing, of course, on defense was Dwight Freeney and, and Robert Mathis. So you try to drop back 40 times, they're going to hit you probably 20 of those 40 times so, but they could not stop the run. So uh, we came into the week with the game plan. Uh, we're just going to drive the ball down their throat. We're going to run Maurice Jones-Drew at them the whole time and do our best to try to limit the amount of passes we had. But when you get to third and ten or you get to third and eight, you can't just hand the ball off. you still got to make those throws to be able to keep the chains moving. And so I just say that by saying I was in a game where I didn't throw the ball a ton of times, but just about every third down, I had to throw on those downs. And we completed quite a few of them, but you still have to be able to do it. And so Blake is going to be uh, called upon uh, plenty of times in this game to show his worth. And the way he's been playing lately, I, I feel like he's up to it. Hopefully the game doesn't become too big for him, the stage doesn't become too big for him. Hopefully the defense is able to slow that Patriots offense down a little bit. Maybe Tom is affected by his hand and, and is not as accurate as he normally is. All those things kind of help play into our situation to give us, honestly, the best chance to win. David Garrard is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. David, we know Jacksonville has a tremendous defense. How do you think they're going to try to defend Rob Gronkowski, who over the years has been almost matchup proof? But if I'm thinking about a couple players within a team concept, Eric Berry of the Chiefs, Cam Chancellor of the Seahawks, have played well against Gronkowski. Yeah, you know, I've been listening to all the, uh, all the reporters and uh, the people nationally talking about it. You know, it's, he's just, he's really tough to match up against because he's got the size, the strength, he's got the speed and the agility to work against smaller guys and still be able to get himself because he's just a big body. Even when you're right there on him, Tom can put the ball in places that somebody that even a six-foot tall guy, like so I'm thinking a Jalen Ramsey guy on him, Tom can still put the ball high enough in places far enough away from the defender that only uh, Rob is going to get to, that only Gronk is going to get to. And so he's, he's a real matchup problem. But I think you got to be physical with him to start out the game. And I don't mean like you're pushing him around. I just mean get your hands on him, slow him down a little bit so he's not coming out of his breaks, you know, wide open just super fast. Disrupt him that way. Yes, it helps if you have a guy that has size that has the uh, lateral movability that Gronk has. But those people 
I don't, there's not very many. You said Cam Chancellor. He might be one of those guys, even an Eric Berry type guy. Those guys are physical type guys. I'm not sure how physical Jalen is on a guy of that size. You know, he can be physical against another receiver that, you know, is around his uh, size frame. But when you have somebody like Gronk that is also going to be a part of the run game too, like what do you do when he's lined up in the tight end position? Is Jalen still going to be there? Well, now Gronk is coming off and hitting a DB in the run game. So he's a real matchup problem. But if just Gronk is getting off and you're able to limit everybody else, I feel like that's our best uh, way to win. You know, Gronk is going to have, you know, a touchdown, maybe eight catches. I mean, that's a lot of catches, but that's just him working. If he's doing that and you have Lewis doing what he's going to do and you have um, Amendola making catches too, you know, and you have all these other guys that are also getting into the offense and making plays and they're scoring as well, that just makes it harder for our offense because now our offense is trying to play keep up with one of the best offenses in the league. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past. And discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on This Week on NFL No Huddle, former Patriots and Steelers linebacker Chad Brown joins the program. Chad, thanks for taking the time to come back on the show. How are you? I am fantastic, fellas. How are you guys doing? Chad, we are doing well. Glad to have you on. I've listened to you a few times on the radio covering some of the games and I just want to tell you, you do a phenomenal job, and I want you to do that now on our show. Um, <laughs> give me your take on that Minnesota Vikings game against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, to see it be one where Minnesota gets out front 17 nothing. obviously we see Case Keenum playing some football, the type of football that you wish your quarterbacks can play in that first half. But the Saints came back strong, and it came down to the very last play of the game, and it's something that we, we was a, a stickler of in Pittsburgh when we were together is playing for 60 minutes. Did they not play for 60 minutes? I, I think it was a fantastic 60-minute game, and I, I think maybe the, the under-told story of that game is the adjustments. Obviously, coming out of half, the New Orleans Saints made some tremendous adjustments, both offensively and defensively. Minnesota didn't adapt to those adjustments and needed a fluky play in the end to win the game. So I wouldn't say that the Saints turned it down and didn't play for 60 minutes. A young safety who made a tremendous play earlier in the game got an interception and the most critical moment of the game, misplays the ball, misplays the tackle. Uh, I think an artifact of the difficulty of playing safety in today's NFL. Not sure, how can I hit this guy? I don't want to get a personal foul. I don't want to get past interference. That uncertainty created doubt. That doubt led to lack of confidence. He kind of whiffed the tackle, and the rest is history. But um, from a football perspective, from a coaching perspective, I walk away from that game thinking about the lack of adjustments and then the adjustments done by New Orleans to get themselves back into the ball game. Chad, let's move over to the AFC Championship game. We know that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, but 
do you have any doubts that the Patriots are going to move the football that effectively against this very tough Jaguar defense on Sunday? You know, Jacksonville is in such a great position because, for the most part, everyone's counting them out. And they have been counted out for a couple of weeks now. But when you're in that locker room of a team that's been counted out, there's an incredible looseness that comes from that. Uh, There's an incredible – it's weird that there's almost a confidence that comes from that, that no matter what, we can't do wrong. Let's just go out there and let it fly. So after being one of those people who counted the Jacksonville Jaguars out, uh, as much respect as I have for the Patriots, been a part of that organization, played for Bill Belichick, was a teammate of Tom Brady's, Obviously, the track record of what those guys have accomplished is long and extensive. Even knowing all of that, I'm in a position saying, you know what, this Jacksonville thing I think is a little bit more complicated than folks want to admit, and they have a better chance than most folks want to admit as well. Being in Pittsburgh, Shaq, you kind of was a a part of that style of play. Uh, Great defense, uh, have a knack for getting the football, scoop and score kind of deal, which we've seen this team do a lot of times on defense. And offensively, we had Bam Morris and a little bit of Jerome Bettis, and those guys kind of led the charge on the offensive side of the football. Do you see this recipe in Jacksonville being the most intimidating recipe throughout this uh, rest of this playoffs? I think so. You know, the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles certainly play a fantastic brand uh, of defense. But the the overall the overall formula of what Jacksonville wants to do, they want to play great defense. They want to run the ball at you with Fournette. They want to ask uh, of Blake Bortles not too much. Be clean with the football. Just be smart with the football. Don't make any mistakes that kill us. Um, that's a tested playoff formula. If you're asking a quarterback to go out there and, and light it up and be in a shootout, you know, that's, that's not tested. The, 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 the history of football lends itself to teams playing great defense, controlling the ball, controlling the, the time of possession, controlling the tempo of the game through the running game, and Jacksonville can do that. And because they're a more ground-based team, then that begins to eliminate some of the variables of, of weather. You know, we often see weather affect playoff games. The more ground-oriented you are, the less of an effect that has on you. So this Jacksonville formula is a traditional football formula, which has proven to be successful. Scott Brown is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's go back to Sunday's game in Pittsburgh. Do you think some Steeler players might have been guilty of looking past Jacksonville? Because there was a lot of conversation about a rematch with New England in the AFC Championship game. Well, looking looking past your next week opponent is, is just... It, it, it blows my mind that, that Mike Tomlin could have allowed that conversation to happen in the locker room and that there was not a team leader in that locker room who didn't step up and squash that conversation before it got to the point where it did, where guys were publicly admitting to be looking forward to playing New England. You, The NFL is such a close league as far as talent and coaching Obviously, particularly in the playoffs, you have to give every opponent their full respect and your full attention. When I was a Pittsburgh Steeler and we were seemingly headed into the Super Bowl, we played the San Diego Chargers in the championship game. That Wednesday before the championship game against San Diego Chargers, Eric Green, our tight end, called a team meeting. And he brought guys in, and he had plans for our Super Bowl video that we were going to do. It was going to be some kind of music video we were going to do. And I was pretty young in my career, and I thought, this is wrong. We should not be doing this. None of this feels right to me. We got a game against the Chargers, and we're playing our Super Bowl video. 
this is just not good football karma. And guess what happens? We lose to those San Diego Chargers. They go in the Super Bowl, play the San Francisco 49ers, get the brakes beat off of them. I think we would have gave the 49ers a far better game than the San Diego Chargers did. But my point is we didn't give the Chargers our full attention. And for that Pittsburgh Steelers team, which is, you know, there's a lot of bravado and confidence and cockiness in that locker room, I think it went a step too far when they began pointing to the Patriots and not to Jacksonville. Chad, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Since you mentioned your TV work and you and I have both done some work for Pac-12 Networks, I just want you to know that Cordell's on the record on this show not connecting himself with our Conference of Champions. Cordell insists he's still a Big 8 guy, even though your former conference does not exist anymore. Come on, K-Stu. Get with 2018. Colorado's in the, the Pac-12. It is what it is. It's a, it's a great fit. It's a fantastic conference, particularly for quarterback play. You would think as a f- former quarterback, you would dive right in, man. Well, Chad, I would, but the, the, the caveat is, and the sneaky thing behind the scenes is, he's a Stanford and a USC guy. He's, th- he's feeling as if the, Pac- the Pac-12 is the, the creme de la creme conference. And he didn't watch the national championship game this year. So I just basically try to tell him that my alliance is with the Big 8, even, even though it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but I follow my football team. Okay? That's what I said. All right. Got it. Got it, big man. Well, Chad, I couldn't watch an all-SEC <laughs> national championship game. Come on. I have taste. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hope to chat with you down the road again on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. It's a new year, and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family, like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, the Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle with former Eagles linebacker Ike Reese. Ike, we appreciate you taking the time. We were just talking about Nick Foles, who played well on Sunday. How much confidence do you have in him as we get ready for the NFC title game? Oh, a whole lot. First of all, thanks for having me on, fellas. Cordell, thanks for having me on, brother. Yes, sir. Um, I I got a lot of confidence in Nick Foles, and uh, I think it's just going to boil down to uh, what's asked of him come Sunday. Uh, you know, here's the thing. I got I have confidence in him, but I still have a lot of respect for that Vikings defense and what they're capable of doing. So, you know, if I'm if I'm the Eagles' uh, offensive brain trust, uh, I'm gonna try to use a game plan that's very similar to what they did last week against the Atlanta Falcons, where you know you kind of start this thing off like you're in a heavyweight boxing match, and for the first few rounds of the boxing match, you're you're sort of trying to feel your way through, see what works, see what doesn't work, but don't put yourself in harm's way, and then when you get to the second half of the fight, the the championship rounds of the fight, that's when you become a little more aggressive, and I thought that's what the Eagles did last week with Nick, is that he was a, they, they dialed up a lot more aggressive passing game plan for him in the second half than they did in the first half, and I think that was by design. And I think, Ike, you, you alluded to a boxing analogy, and, and I'll go further with it, is it was like 
what New England did to Atlanta in that Super Bowl, right? What did they do? They jabbed him with a lot of James White in the back out of the flats or, or on the wheel routes. And you right. saw that's what they end up doing with Nick Foles to keep everything conservative so he doesn't have to force it between the tackles. And I thought that was a tremendous job to be able to put him in position to help the team be ahead of down and distance. Do you see them maybe try to mimic that same game plan? Because to go 23 of 20, go 23 of 30 for 266 yards, 160 yards, that's a great day for him in a game of that magnitude to get this team into the NFC Championship game. Yeah, I really do, Corda. I, I, I mean, I would use the same formula. I mean, listen, there's, there's no sense in trying to prove um, how smart uh, you are as a coach or how daring you are as a coach when once you get to this point. Um, you know, sometimes, especially when you're playing at home, let that other team beat, beat themselves. You know, don't help them out. You know, the only way I believe Minnesota uh, can get out in front running this game is if we come out and don't take care of the football like we did last week against the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, you get you get down two turnovers uh, in the turnover department against the Minnesota Vikings. I'm not sure you're going to be able to come back and win that football game. So if if you can put Nick in a situation where you know he can be comfortable, they doing the new RPOs where it's run pass option, and Nick can sort of have one read on half the field and then decide where he wants to go with the football. I'm perfectly fine with that. They have to figure out a way to get a running attack started early in this game. And, and you mentioned Cordell staying ahead in the sticks. That is so crucial for Nick. You got to keep him out of second and 10, third and 12, third and 15 type of situations. He needs to be in second and six, you know, third and four situations like that where he has the ability to throw the ball or run the ball and keep this Vikings defense sort of guessing as to what he's going to do. If, if you get to a situation where you're one dimensional and they know you're going to throw the ball, man, it could be a long day trying to throw against this Viking secondary. Chatting with Ike Reese, former Eagles linebacker, Sports Radio 94 WIP in Philly. Ike, from a national point of view, does Doug Peterson deserve more credit for his abilities as head coach, especially in helping the development of Carson Wentz? Yeah, no doubt about it in my mind, fellas. I think sometimes when you have a player that's as great as Carson Wentz was this year, he can sometimes overshadow what the coaches are doing to help him have the type of year that he's having. And since Doug is a relatively young coach, only in his second year, didn't come in with a huge pedigree. Uh, really, for a lot of people, uh, it was somewhat of a questionable hiring. So he was still trying to earn his chops. And I, I think he's done that, particularly this year. But it started last year. But again, when Carson is having the type of year that he's having instead of giving you know Doug Doug some credit for the type of jump Carson made this year it almost goes to the quarterback coach and that's why John DeFilippo is getting interviews for head coaching jobs because he's receiving uh, credit for Carson Wentz's uh, development as, as a quarterback when in reality it's been Doug Peterson John DeFilippo and Frank Reich uh, that's allowed Carson to have the type of jump that he had I Obviously, with Carson's talent, that's the huge factor in the equation. But I, I do believe Doug Peterson uh, is the coach of the year. And if you didn't know it uh, prior to Carson being injured, how could you deny it now when if the other guys in the running, Sean McVay, you're going to have a great argument for him, but he loses at home in his first playoff game 
with his full complement of players. The other coach that would be in the running would be Mike Zimmer. Uh, he's in the NFC Championship game against uh, um, Doug Peterson and his team. But I think because Doug didn't have the background in coaching that Mike Zimmer had, uh, and there are more questions around him, and now he's lost his starting quarterback, and he still finds himself in the NFC Championship game. I know they do the voting before the regular season, I mean before the postseason gets here, but he certainly gets my vote. I, I think he's done a, a tremendous job of just keeping this team together uh, after losing the MVP of the league, in my opinion, in Carson Wentz. IQ alluded to a second a second ago, basically saying in so many words that Doug Peterson was being undermined, let's just say by Jim Schwartz or, or people saying that Jim Schwartz was walking around thinking he may should get the job as opposed to Doug Peterson. But he's played, I think he's played his cards his card extremely well, have this team in the NFC Championship game. But give me the pulse of the city, man. You know how, yeah. ang- from an anxiety <laughs> standpoint and how impatient the city of Philadelphia can be, man. Give me your take on how they've handled themselves with seeing the transition of quarterbacks, but now having Nick Foles playing as well as he did, are they pretty excited or are they still having some doubts? No, no, I tell you what, if you if we were to talk last week, fellas, <laughs> you, you 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 would think we were getting ready to play the eighty nine forty niners uh last week when we played the Atlanta Falcons. There there was I, I would say it was probably fifty fifty at best as far as feeling positive about the game versus being concerned or having no hope at all. But after last week's game, uh I, I would say the majority of the fan base I would even go as far as saying ninety to 95% of the fan base is all on board and believing. And I've, I've tried to tell them, listen, I understand the last two regular season games uh, didn't look very good to the eye, especially offensively. But if, if you if you take the positives out of those games, which is the way the defense played and the way the special teams played, uh, there are plenty of things to feel good about this team with. I think Nick's play last week calmed some nerves uh, of a lot of people. But overall, just winning the game, um, I think that sort of calmed the nerves of everyone. And this week, we're in the NFC Championship game. I tell you, a month or so ago, uh, after Carson was injured, not very many people believed we would be in this position. I would tell you, most people thought the season ended when Carson got injured. Uh, so to answer your question, Cordell, uh, I would say about 95-plus is, is all, all on board with, with this week's uh, uh, game because, quite frankly, you got nothing to lose. I mean, it's, it's the NFC Championship game. Nobody's picking you. Uh, no one expected you to be here. Most of us didn't expect him to be here after the injury. You may as well enjoy this week. These things don't come around very often. Cordell, you know that. They, they don't come around very often. And so um, we'll just let the chips fall where they may Sunday. But I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about this game Sunday. I really do. I feel good. It's at home. Uh, our defense is being underplayed and undersold. Vikings defense is being talked up. That's great. They had the miracle play last week against the Saints. I'm glad that happened. So everybody's focused focusing on that. We're just flying under the radar here in Philadelphia. And come Sunday, we're going to let the dogs out Sunday. And I feel good about the game. I really do. I just don't want to see those masks, Ike. Freaked me out last week. <laughs> I had bad that. dreams. <laughs> well, mine, uh, uh, mine and my co-hosts and my producers, ours got delivered last night. So we warmed through a portion of the show today. <laughs> we got our mask. We got our underdog mask. It's You know how this 
is. It's a city thing, so we got to ride with it. We got to ride with it. Who let the dogs out? Ike, we know you just wrapped up your show, so we really appreciate you joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Oh, no doubt, man. Thanks for having me. Take it easy. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on This Week on NFL No Huddle, former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels is our guest. Sage, thanks for taking the time to join us once more. After the miracle in Minnesota, undeniably Case Keenum has validated that he's going to be the starter next year for the Vikings, even if Minnesota doesn't make it to the Super Bowl. But how do you think they're going to handle things financially with Keenum? Oh, you know, I, who knows? I actually ran into the Vikings contract negotiator on Saturday, uh, just randomly in Minneapolis, and we sort of talked about it. And he said, you know, they really haven't discussed it all that much. Uh, you know, they're just so focused on this season, getting through this season. You just never know what's going to happen. I mean, Case Keenum could tear his ACL in the first quarter of this football game and, you know, throw any plans that they may have, you know, for a loop. So, you know, Case Keenum is one of those guys who has, in the old-fashioned way, earned his way to get to where he is now and my guess is that yes the the Vikings will pay him and and pay him very well uh, but it will still be some sort of earn it contract he he has proven it in one season that he you know is a very good NFL quarterback Uh, but you know to to get a huge you know 125 million dollar contract with 50 or 60 or 70 million dollars guaranteed he's going to have to prove it a little bit longer than that so my guess is it'll be a big number next year and then after that if he plays well uh, then he'll be getting paid, you know, after that. But if he doesn't, my guess is that the Vikings will have a way uh, to get out of future years if for some reason Case Keenum ends up being a one-year wonder. But if he pulls off a Joe Flacco where he goes out and plays really well and take him to a Super Bowl and win it, you think they may try to give him a big deal. Not as lucrative as some may think, but something well enough to, to let him know he's deserving of it. But how much of a monkey wrench has he thrown into the mix of how they actually try to figure out who's going to be the quarterback next season by how great he's played so far? Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is, and you brought up Joe Flacco, you know, he had had, you know, what, four, maybe five years of pretty good quarterback play or very good quarterback play than won that Super Bowl and, of course, cashed in. Case in a different situation, one year, right? So I think that's where the, the situation's a little bit different. The thing is with the Vikings is they absolutely love Teddy Bridgewater before his injury, uh, you know, about a year and a half ago. I mean, they were in love with him. I mean, the, the quarterback's coach, Kevin Stefanski, you know, I remember talking to him saying, now, I'm on the Teddy Bridgewater train. Love this guy. You know, he, he's, he's going to be a really good quarterback for a long time for the Minnesota Vikings and in the NFL. He tears the ACL, and I think just nobody, nobody expected Case came to do this. And so uh, there, there probably is a little bit of leverage on the Vikings side because of that, you know, because they, they, you know, whether it's, General Manager Rick Spielman or Head Coach Mike Zimmer uh, or, or their, you know, whoever their offensive coordinator is going to be next year, uh, they like Teddy Bridgewater as well. So my guess is they're going to try to get him back too. And uh, that's a little bit of leverage if for some reason Case Keenum is looking for that Joe Flacco-type contract. 
they may say, you know what, we're just not going to go all in on a guy who had a one-year, uh, one sort of one-hit wonder. We got a guy, Teddy Bridgewater, that we absolutely love. So there's a little bit of leverage on the Vikings side in this situation. Sage Rosenfels is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Sage, I'm not trying to be a hot take artist here, but is it fair to point out that both Case Keenum and Nick Foles have wound up playing in the FC title game after they stopped playing for Jeff Fisher? Is there any cause and effect there? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think there is. I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point that if you look back at Jeff Fisher's time with the St. Louis Rams and the LA Rams, that uh, you know he was a defensive guy. He's an old, you know, old school Bears guy, right? He played for the old school '85 Bears, who they had one of the great defenses, if not the best defense in the history of the National Football League. But their offense, oh, the Walter Payton, uh, what really wasn't all that exciting with uh, with Jim McMahon at the helm. So uh, that's sort of in his blood and his DNA, and it's pretty obvious that he just kept missing on you know coaches uh, with, with that offense. I said, whether St. Louis or, or L.A. So uh, I don't think he appreciated you know, how, how important a really good offensive coordinator is, one that's not just detailed, not just demanding, but you know, extremely creative and understands how to use you know, different weapons because they had weapons on that football team with L.A. and, and they obviously didn't use Todd Gurley. Uh, who was an MVP candidate this season? They obviously didn't use him and all his abilities. He isn't just a just a tailback. He can catch the football in the backfield. He can do screens. He can he, he called it. I remember catching a him catching a seam route at some point early in the season. The guy is multidimensional, and it's you know a good offensive coordinator nowadays. And we saw it with Sean Payton the other day. You take advantage of all the players and all their different uh, abilities, and it's pretty obvious that Jeff Fisher was not hiring offensive coordinators that took advantage of the talent they had on that roster. Give me your understanding about where Andrew Sandejo is considering the concussion that he uh, ended up getting in the early part of this game. You think he'll be healthy to come back uh, for this weekend? Well, you know, I'm, I'm just an analyst, uh, you know, watching the team, right? So I think that's going to be a question for, uh, you know, the – uh, you know the 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 doctors and, and trainers and everyone that's you know diagnosing him and, and working with him right now. My guess is he's gonna get tests every single day. And and the hard part is that you know Zendejo is one of those sort of old school. I don't know if he was undrafted or a seventh round draft pick, but one of those guys who has worked his way up from practice squad to the roster as a special teams guy. Uh, and the reason he's on the Vikings and, and starting is because he's a hard hitting safety. He throws his body, uh, which includes his shoulders and his head all over that football field. And uh, he's one of those guys that, you know, he swings for the fences a lot. Sometimes he misses, but a lot of times he connects. So he is, uh, you know, he uses his head a lot in the, the way he plays the game. And, uh, you know, so, the, so my, this is probably not his first concussion. He's, I'm sure he's been hitting the head his fair share. So usually it seems like, from what I've noticed in the past, the guys who play that way, it does take them longer to come back. Uh, and, uh, and it might not be a bad idea uh, you know, to, to hold him out. And, and obviously he's a very good player. The Vikings would miss him, but they have to do with one, what's in the best interest of him and his health. Uh, and two, uh, you know, they've got, they would have a bye week if they win the football game this week and allow him two more weeks to recover before playing probably the new England Patriots, but you know, new England or Jacksonville in the Super Bowl. And you're ready for the conference championship games coming up on Sunday with Sage Rosenfels. Let's move to the AFC. We know that Tom Brady is the most accomplished quarterback of all time. But, Sage, how much confidence do you have the Patriots are going to move the ball at will against a very tough Jacksonville defense? I, I do. I think that, you know, Josh McDaniels and Brady and, and Belichick, they, they, you know, everyone seems to just want to 
say, well, is this the end of the road or is there turmoil going on and, and just sort of come up with things. But at the end of the day, this is their seventh championship game in a row. You know, I fully expect them to win this football game and, and get the Super Bowl. Yes, Jacksonville has an outstanding defense, but the Patriots have played some pretty good defenses this year. And, and here they are, you know, really fairly easily. Uh, in the AFC Championship game. So uh, I, I just don't see Blake Bortles and that offense allowing, uh, you know, or uh, 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 scoring, uh, you know, that many points uh, than, than the Patriots this week. Uh, you know, Belichick, he's going to go to his, his old school game plan, which is take away what Jacksonville does best, which is run the football and force, you know, really the worst player on that offense to beat them, which is Blake Bortles. And, the, you know, the question is, uh, can Blake Bortles, even with advantageous, you know, coverages, you know, beat uh, this New England secondary and, and beat Tom Brady on the other side. When you look at this this Jacksonville team, they've done everything well, in spite of Blake Bortles. And when he doesn't turn the football over, they're ten and zero. Is that enough to be able to go into New England and actually be able to try to squeak one out? Because no one thought this team would be here because of Blake Bortles. Yeah, you know, I think that what what Belichick is going to do is he's going to load that box. He's going to load the box, and I, my guess is he play, also plays a lot of man coverage. Uh, to make all the throws contested. You know, if you play, you know, off coverage and, and allow sort of free access to the wide receivers and tight ends, that allows for easier completions. My guess is that they'll try to take away the run by loading the box, but also, you know, playing up and up in your face man to man type coverages. Uh, so, you know, every throw that Bortles makes has to be on point, and he's not a very accurate quarterback, and, uh, you know, he's not Drew Brees. We saw Drew Brees slice and dice in the Minnesota defense who played that style. Uh, I don't see Bortles being that type of, you know, having that type of accuracy consistently over the course of four, uh, you know, four quarters up in New England in really bad weather. Um, my guess is that over time he'll, you know, either miss a lot of throws or he'll start throwing the ball to the other team. Sage, we always enjoy the conversations that you're kind enough to extend to us on this program. Thanks again for coming back on the show and hope to see you in person when we get to the Super Bowl in Minnesota. Hey, thanks. Can I, can I ask one question? I want to ask Cordell. Cordell, what was... Could you compare? Were you, were you thinking about that? Help me. I, I grew up watching your Hail Mary throw, uh, you know, against the Michigan. Could you compare what you saw with Stephon Diggs to uh, you, the, that that Michael Westbrook connection? Oh man, uh, say that. That's a good question. Because um, the feeling I got watching that that play happen. Um, it, it was about as crazy uh, as that one was for me in in, in, uh, in Michigan. But this is what I'll say. The shock factor on Case Keenum's face was probably the same for maybe five seconds longer uh, than mine was. Um, it's like the ball goes up in the air. You see it gets tipped. Michael catches it. And now it's a reaction. And, and, and what's the reaction? It's almost like you pause, like somebody hit you in your throat, right? Because you're playing around. And all of a sudden, when you get a chance to scream, it, it just comes out at the highest level. So that one, I think, you know, it both had probably the same different significance, of course. Uh, both were wins, but this one catapults this team to an NFC Championship game. But I have to be honest with you, Sage, man. If you've ever been a part of something like that, to where the the the, the outcome is not just a win, but maybe moving you up in ranks in college to to even get into a NFC Championship game. Dude, it took us a while to come off of that high because we had to play the Texas Longhorns the next week, and we were all drained the next week having to go down to Texas and play down in Austin. So it took a while to get our feet back on the ground, but it's exhausting, to be honest. And, and, and I think from 1 to 10, 
uh, both plays probably about a 13 to me because uh, you never imagine it happening and it ended up happening. And uh, not to, you know, two great guys, by the way, just so you know, Sage, two great guys, myself and you Case, and Case Kingdom. Kingdom. Thank myself you. Cordell Modest, Kingdom. as always, Sage. Thank you for feeding the <laughs> eagle once more. <laughs> Sage, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us again All on guys. the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks, Sage. Okay, thanks for having me on. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. It's a new year, and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites, we've rounded up our favorites, and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John, S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out this week on NFL No Huddle, we're joined by former Vikings linebacker Ben Lieber. Ben, thanks so much for coming back on the show. So take us through the miracle in Minnesota as you saw it. Were you still down on the field or getting ready for the postgame show? Uh, guys, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I was down on the field. Yeah, I was down on the field, but mentally I was getting ready for the postgame show. You know, we had two different uh, variables going on. If, if the Vikings win, I got to do I got to do X, Y, and Z. If they, if they lose, I got to do X, Y, and Z. So uh, I was going through my checklist of like, all right, here we go. Vikings are going to lose. And, and uh, I've got to you know do these responsibilities. I got to think about my questions. And next thing you know, like a shot of lightning, uh, there was this surge of electricity and energy just went through everybody as we were watching this play unfold. And it was after that, it was complete pandemonium and chaos and, and uh, insanity. Uh, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Ben, when you speaking of the craziest thing you've ever seen, I, the look that was on Everson Griffin's face, as well as Case Keenum. Yeah. I mean, Everson is on the bench, you know, kind of in that mode of what you just explained, like let's get ready to move on and whatever's going to happen is going to happen and nothing to do with the game, but to do with the offseason. And then Case Keenum, he comes back and his mouth, his mouth is wide open. He says, oh, my God. And by the time he recognized, he said, oh, my God, there was a jolt of electricity went through him and he went strong crazy. So how many people were in that moment of, you know, after the pandemonium that you mentioned just kind of just erupted. How do you feel? How did you see everyone else responding to that play that was on the sideline? You know, obviously there was a group of guys that that they couldn't help but just have their legs carry them into the end zone to celebrate uh, with Stefan. But you saw the video of a lot of guys on the sidelines just sort of stunned and shocked. And yes, there were guys hugging and all that stuff. But I'll tell you what, is even after the, the initial play the the stoppage in play to review it to see if he'd stepped out of bounds and confirm the touchdown, and then to bring out the Saints players for that, that silly extra point, point after deal that they have to go through. Uh, after all that, after all the interviews and, and all the on-field stuff, I was talking to guys in the locker room, and they're like, I, I still can't believe what happened. Like, the guys were still shell-shocked, and like, they they had all prepared, I think, mentally that they were they were going to lose the game and and I was talking to Brian Robinson specifically he was a teammate of mine in 2009 when we lost to the Saints down there and and he was 
still in his pads an hour after the game. You know, other guys had showered, and here he is still in his shoulder pads and full uniform. And he's like, I don't. He's like, I don't even know what to do. He goes, I just. He's like, I didn't think that we were going to win the game, and all of a sudden here we are, and we won. Ben Lieber is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Ben, let's focus on your specialty, defensive football. How do you see the matchup of the Vikings' high-powered offense with all of their skilled playmakers against the top-five defense for the Eagles? Well, you know, it's going to be tough for sure. Um, you look at, obviously, the number one ranked deep, uh, rush defense in the Eagles. They do a great job of just their front four. I'm, I'm amazed by watching the film, you know, how little they blitz with their linebackers, how little they blitz with their safeties. They do a lot of things with their front four defensive line. So, you know, just managing those athletic guys up there, especially, you know, out on out on the edges. I think the, the matchup with uh, Rashad Hill and Brandon Graham is going to be something to watch. Um, but I, I do think that they're, just like any, any team, any defense, uh, there are vulnerabilities to this defense. I think their corners are, are just good. I don't think that they're great. I think they can be taken advantage of. Uh, I think the, the Falcons did especially take advantage of those guys, although they held their own enough to, to keep the players out of the end zone. But as far as one-on-one matchups, uh, mono-a-mono, I, I like our chances with Diggs and Thielen on the outside to exploit those guys. Um, I think that you can run on these guys. I think there, there are opportunities on the perimeter run game, especially if you compress the, the formations and you ask now the corners to be run fitters. I just don't think they're very physical against the run, and I think they're not very good at getting off the blocks as well with the receivers. So I think there are ways that you can compress the, the formations and ask Jarek McKinnon uh, to get around the outside. So uh, that's a little bit right now the formula that I see of success. Uh, it's going to be tough, though, because, like I said, that front four, they can penetrate and you may have the perfect scheme, but they may go up there and blow something up in the backfield. Chatting with Ben Lieber, former Vikings linebacker. Ben, should we give more credit to the Vikings running game after Dalvin Cook went down with the torn ACL? And as you know, he was sensational to start his rookie season coming out of Florida State. Murray and McKinnon have been able to hold things together nicely. Yeah, they really have. You know, they, they, they're doing enough to, I think, you know, provide a threat. And, and that's all you need when you have a team that uses play-action pass and, and you want to get an extra safety committed to the box and have guys singled up on the outside. Uh, so they're doing enough. You know, are they as explosive and quote-unquote dynamic? No, they're not. But between the two of them, i got to say that i, I got to give a lot of credit to Latavius. I'm, I'm not a big fan of his running style. I, I think that he runs into some people a little too often and, and uh, he misses some holes, but you know, he's a big, strong runner, and you, you got to give him credit for guys that sort of bounce off of him and guys that miss arm tackles and, and his ability just to make a, a slight adjustment, maybe not a complete juke move, but, you know, he does enough with his wiggle to make guys miss and, and to find some, some open running lanes. So he's, he's been effective, and, and along with, with Jarek, uh, who's I got to give, give him a ton of credit, he was he was challenged in the off season of putting on weight and putting on strength because too many times last year he was he was going down with arm tackles and he wasn't breaking enough tackles at the line of scrimmage and this year he came back you know he put on about ten pounds you could you could see his his thighs and his hips are a little bit bigger he's making himself look more like a running back and I think it's really paid off he's he's been fantastic for what they want him to do. And let's wrap it up with a big picture. If you had to focus on one area, one component as to what the entire NFC 
championship game could hinge on coming up Sunday in Philadelphia, what would that area be? I would say which offensive line wins the game. Um, as I laid out, I think Philadelphia's offensive line is really good, and, and I think that they they can pose a lot of problems to the front seven. And if they can they can sort of take the will of the Vikings' front seven, then that, I think they're going to do enough to win the game. And and I think that that short dink and dunk uh, college passing game that they've implemented with Nick Foles, you know, along with a big physical offensive line, I think will do enough to win a close ball game. Now, if the Vikings can weather that storm, and conversely, if their offensive line uh, can find a way to protect Case against a, a really good front four and find a way to, to get the edge in the run game, then, then I think the Vikings come out on top. So it's going to be just like everything else. I know it's cliche. It's going to be one of the, one of the trenches. But uh, I think it's, it's really important, especially when you have two very good run-stopping defenses, that whoever does the best uh, on the offensive line is going to win the game. And as always, we appreciate the insights. Thanks for coming back on the show. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Thanks a lot, guys. Anytime. Thank you for listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern time on the NFL on TuneIn. The National Football League is on TuneIn.